2: This year's Nobel Prize for Economics was awarded to French economist Jean Tirole. He is known by many people in business circles as someone that had studied deeply how the behavior of large companies is tied to modern antitrust regulation, especially in the case of monopolies. But he is also well known for other work as well. And one professor of economics knows that to be the case also where Mr. Tirole is receiving his award. Esther Galore is the Glenn Stinson Chair in Competitiveness and Professor of Business Economics and Marketing at the Katz School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh, and she joins us from Pittsburgh today. Professor Galore, great to have you on the show for a while. Thank you. Uh, you say that his uh, uh, accepting this award or receiving this award, Mr. Tyroll really goes beyond his work in terms of studying monopolies, that there's another area where Mr. Troll has has really shown brightly. Can you go into that?
1: Yes, so uh, he, uh, Tyrol contributed more broadly to understanding how markets that are imperfectly competitive, uh, how their structure uh, is, is uh, what's the characterization of the structure, and what is the conduct of companies, of large companies in such markets. So prior to his work, you know, economies focused on you know markets, easy markets to understand. Mm-hmm. Markets that are very highly, highly competitive or are markets that consist of one single firm. In such markets it's relatively easy to understand what firms do because they pretty much ignore the environment or what they how their strategy affects the behavior of others. In the case of highly competitive, each company is so small it can simply ignore because it's really not going to influence anybody else mm-hmm. if there is only one there is nobody else to to consider sure what Tyrol did is to look at markets that are less than perfectly competitive what's called oligopolies and try to understand given the structure if you have only three or four competitors uh, how is the company supposed to structure a strategy to design a strategy and then obviously you cannot ignore competitors because you incorporate what your choice is going to do to their behavior, and in turn, subsequently affect your behavior as well. And so the the natural field to utilize for that purpose was game theory, because it's not that different from players that are interacting in a game. Now, the reason that it becomes much more complicated to characterize the behavior and understand strategies in this setting is... There isn't one universal answer to what they should do. It mm-hmm. all depends upon the details of the kind of industry they operate, uh, operate in, what kind of competitors they face, what do they know about each other, what do they know about customers. And all of this, th- those details are now requiring much, you know, each each uh, industry and each setting requires a different story, sure. a different model to analyze And that's what he did. And in his book of The Theory of Industrial Organization, he looked at different scenarios of how much information does a company have, an incumbent company have, in excess of what a potential entrant might have, and how does it manipulate his perception so that it will retain its market power. Or for competing companies that are currently all incumbents, what does my competitor know about my cost structure, and what can I do in order to change his perception or what kind of investment am I going to make in order to uh, make sure that my monopol- my position in the market is strengthened or at least retained all of this kind th- all those questions were non-existent prior to his work
2: so what what's probably for those people that are listening to us and, and living across the United States what are probably maybe one or two examples the uh, 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 best examples out there right now of that imperfectly competitive market?
1: Okay so so let me give you an example of of a, you mean a, a, of a company really doing yes. some okay uh, let's see Uh, So one example is, say, Google, okay, and and what you have now – and he has done some work of what's called platform competition. Mm -hmm. And so this platform competition has to do with an an intermediary that brings together online, in the case of Google, brings together users and advertisers. Mm -hmm. So, So the question is, how are you going to, first of all, design the pricing? Are you going to charge users? Are you going to or are you going to rely primarily on advertising uh, prices to support providing uh, services for free? Mm-hmm. And, and so, the, the, in the context of Google, for instance, uh, not only do you have to, to this pricing is, is you know affecting also other providers of similar services yeah. such as Microsoft and Yahoo. But uh, and and, and there is another aspect in in the context of this example, which 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 we call network externalities. So you want to to come to the advertiser with a very large user base Mm -hmm. in order to uh, be able to charge higher uh, advertising fees from them. And now each of those companies are now competing uh, in order to gain a large market, uh, uh, a large user base, and and so those issues of. How do I secure myself a, a position and then retain it uh, is an important qu- position, uh, an important question for those companies to address.
2: Right, so uh, that so that they can maximize uh, everything that they have on their end and in the end uh, produce the biggest profits that that they possibly can. Correct.
1: Absolutely right, but it's not going to be that simple because they know that whatever they do is going to trigger a response from the competitors. Sure. So in designing the strategy, they incorporate that possible t- response, and they somehow incorporating this possible response, they, they find something that is going to be the right equilibrium choice for them.
2: So in realis- realistically, we're talking about companies that don't, quote-unquote, have a monopoly, but they are have so much influence in their particular sector that in some respects they have the ability to uh, influence the way pricing is set up, almost like a monopoly?
1: Not necessarily, because okay. sometimes having two is very close to being very competitive. It okay. depends upon what kind of market you are serving. So imagine that you are in a market where the two competitors offer something that is very similar, that uh, the, the differentiation is not an issue and the only thing that consumers care about is price. hmm it will take two companies to get pricing that is very close to cost, because if it, when each of them is trying to capture market share, you'll see that they'll start undercutting each other, and, and eventually they are, are, they are going to be able to. You know, profits are not necessarily going to be high. Right. Because of that, what Tirol came up with is actually. Companies anticipating this kind of fierce price competition, they come up with all kinds of contracts with customers that will alleviate t- subsequent price competition. So, for example, let's let's go think about the airline industry. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, if if consumers increasingly only uh, worry about prices, okay, so we'll come up with a frequent flyer program. <laughs> and what the frequent flyer program does is now, when you are valuing whether to buy a ticket with with United or, or, or with Delta, you are going to say, mm, I've already accumulated enough miles with with United, so it's not, even if there is a differential of 20 or $30 between the two tickets, I'll just buy the, the ticket from United. So they added some differentiation with the contract they did with a customer that promises them to get some rewards that allows them to now differentiate even though the service is pretty much the same and the, and, and, and the product that the customer gets is the same. So so what Tyrol did is actually introduce some terminology that is exactly talking about what kind of long-term commitments you want to make, sometimes Mm -hmm. with your own customers, with an eye of how it's going to affect subsequent competition with, with a few other competitors. So it's not really monopoly. There are circumstances under which this... Competition made, even among a few may be quite fierce, right, but what companies do is to position themselves in such a way with an eye of how do I make this competition not as fierce
2: so would that put would that put the uh the wireless phone industry in that kind of uh, grouping as well
1: uh, absolutely so so you have this okay, so what do they do here so if you cancel cancel your contract, there are significant fees if yeah you are, all of those are making it more difficult there are switching costs right, right. so giving those switching costs even though they offer pretty much the same they are going to create contracts that will make the environment more hospitable to their pricing but it's not quite monopoly it requires what what Tyrol did is to point out that those companies will have to rethink this kind of strategies it may not be always pro pro consumer but many times it is. In the example of Google and, and Microsoft and Yahoo, you know, we get services for free. Mm-hmm. We get services for free because they find, found out that it's to their advantage to offer those services for free in order to each create a large base at which they then approach advertisers and, okay. and, and, and can charge them higher fees. So these advertisers are, are are footing the bill, but we as customers get actually services, sometimes super, so superb services, and don't pay for them.
2: And then I would guess, in using the example of the wireless phone industry, then with the fact that if you sign a two-year contract and you keep it, uh, the opportunity, as a lot of wireless companies are doing right now, to be able to trade your phone in for free is that little bit of extra perk that they give you in order to continue to build their customer base.
1: Exactly right. It's Uh, not that different from Frequent Flyer, right? It's whatever it will take to make you loyal. So you get some services. It's not as if it's bad, always bad. And that's why I, 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 I bit disagree with the way, you know, the, the, the committee um, announced the prize as if it is for his contribution to regulation. Mm-hmm. And it's really far from that. It, it really just helps us understand the markets that are complex in the sense that understanding the details and the information structure uh, allows in, in individual entities to design strategies that are appropriate for the environment they confront. Right. So it's all, always valid in markets that are relatively concentrated, in markets where each player has a significant market share. But it's not – the message I don't think is, okay, let's go ahead and regulate all of those industries, mm-hmm. even though it does look at many instances where, indeed, regulation is, is called for. And then he uses a different approach than what we have discussed. It, it does it mostly with using this principal agent approach where when you need to regulate a certain monopoly or local monopoly, many times the government doesn't have access to, to the same information that the company has. Right. So, so what he did is to design, build upon a field that is called mechanism design uh, to see what kind of contracts will, will enable the government to elicit information about the cost structure so that they can... For instance, grant the company uh, the privileges to a certain price, but do it in more consistent, in, more, in a more consistent manner with the actual cost that, this com- that the company is, is facing, that the monopoly is facing.
2: And may- maybe, I, I guess, in-, in part, the reason why it was worded the way it was in terms of the award was because of the fact that there has been such a focus on regulation of companies, especially considering coming out of the uh, the economic downturn that we had for several years where we saw so many companies kind of bending the rules in a variety of different ways to their own benefit
1: cool but on the other hand, if you read some of his work, you'll see that he says that uh, that government needs to be a little bit humility might might uh, uh, might help sure. because uh, many times regulators make a bigger mess of uh, than than uh, than what he started with. So he has a paper where he actually talks about bureaucracy in government, and he shows that there is this t- sometimes tendency for regulatory capture in the sense that. That the regulator is, in some sense, uh, the, the the regulatory agency assists the monopoly, or the, the for whatever reason, because you still have self-interested individuals that are looking at, at you know, to labour market later on. What happens if we, when I leave the government? And so they may actually assist the the the, the 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 monopoly to distort information to help them out. And and so it's not a panacea that regulation will solve it. And so what he helped us understand is that you know that there are instances when regulation is called for, but many instances, even with the imperfection in the costs that my, that market power may introduce, you may avoid, you may want to to actually avoid regulating uh, the, the, this particular environment. I,
2: I would imagine that might be a very tough prospect to have to deal with with governments having to, in some respects hold to their uh, to the regulations that they want, but in other times, understanding the the right that maybe it is time to back off and not over-regulate.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and and what he did, so there are many instances when he actually said that the theory doesn't support either way. We don't know. So if you don't know, I think that you should let the market say, do it on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I, I wouldn't consider his work, even though many economists would disagree with me, as being mainly the contribu- contribution to regu- regulation of monopolies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also I, I would mostly characterize it as as understanding markets where you have a com- large companies with significant market power, and and you you have to then utilize tools that you have not done, you have not used in the past, and that's why his work is so rigorous and highly mathematical.
2: Are these but, are these tools that you're referring to? Are these tools that? are known to these companies and just not implemented or are these actual uh, uh, are, are they developments that that they have basically come on over the course of time
1: okay he's a researcher so yeah. what he what he wanted to see is to actually just understand okay whether how companies would behave in this kind of in this kind of environment. So mm-hmm. I'm at the only I'm an incumbent company. I'm currently one out of three and I would like to remain in this environment. Mm-hmm. I don't want additional competition. So is there something I can do to erect barriers for additional companies to come in? And and so he actually derived strategies of this sort. Okay? Now the question is does the next step was there was empirical work to test whether those predictions are indeed observable. Do you see companies behave this way? Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they haven't read his work to figure out what those strategies should sure. be. Yeah. But it so happens that sophisticated people run those companies. And so even if they don't know those mathematical models, they can figure it out just by you know, interaction with, with competitors in the past. They can figure out what should be the right mode of behavior for them. And so, so I wouldn't say that you, in order to design the strategy, you have to read his work. Yeah. it's the other way around. He tried to come up with those solutions before the solutions were really clear. People really didn't know if you have only three, four competitors, what can I tell about the final outcome? How how much you know? The concern is the antitrust authorities are concerned about what happens to prices and then consumer welfare as a result of this. Highly concentrated market. Sure. So he demonstrated different circumstances under which the regulator doesn't have to con- be concerned at all, and other circumstances like he has to be concerned at a lot. And, and and the the topic that I think is now the reason why regulation I think is now the hot topic is we are li- we are living in an, in a in a world where you have those n- monopolies. I would call them. I don't know. Creative monopolies, monopolies that are coming up with new, new ideas, uh, revo- revolutionising processes, uh, revolutionising, bringing, bringing products in that that are really changing the, the entire model. Mm-hmm. Thinking about Apple and and Google, but what happens is that they uh, acquire significant market power, and but if you wait 10, 20 years they may be replaced by another monopoly. Yeah. But while they are a monopoly, they are attracting a lot of attention. And in Europe in particular, Google is now attracting a lot of attention. And so, so I I believe that the, the emphasis on, on this part of his work is because of the circumstances that, you know, Europeans' antitrust authorities tend to be more in, in favor of intervention mm-hmm. than, than the U.S., I think. And so the emphasis on this part, I, I think, is due to that.
2: And obviously that has gotten a little bit of attention uh, lately because uh, of Google, uh, Google's presence over in Europe as well.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And, and, and they, indeed, they are going to go after, they are trying to go after uh, Google for the same reason, if you rec- remember the antitrust casing in Microsoft. Yep. So one important uh, contribution of his work relates to foreclosure and then how vertical integration On the supply chain, can it foreclose competitors from the market? Prior to his work, you know, the Chicago School normally tends to to to, uh, trust markets, and 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 their argument was that no customer would be willing to be. The the idea just follows. So, in the case of Markov, I don't know if you remember, but there was this issue of uh, their browser to replace at the time Netscape's browser. Mm So what they did is to integrate it in their operating system, and by doing so, because users could use their, their browser for free, Netscape browser was just foreclosed from the market. So they extended their monopoly position from, from an a operating system to offering browsing services. Now with Google, the, the issue is the search. So their monopoly position in, 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 in their search technology is due to their better Better quality. Many will agree with me that it's superior to be to, to that of the competitors. And so now the argument that they are using this monopoly to acquire, for instance, companies that offer uh, travel services uh, online, yep. uh, hotel information, and after they integrate and they become part of Google, suddenly you get this service uh, for free, putting a disadva- giving a disadvantage placing a disadvantage uh, upon the competitors that offer those services online. And so the European authorities are going after this kind of behavior.
2: Well, and that's such a big part of what we've seen uh, in the U.S. economy when you talk about companies like Google uh, trying to add as many uh, different pieces to their puzzle to kind of extend their their power, their control out there. Absolutely. it's It's almost like an octopus trying to reach out and grab as many things as it possibly can.
1: Right, right. The only question, what do you do? And th- that's where opinions differ. Okay, so yep. some would say that the benefit you get out of Google is so significant that even if you get some distortion, uh, it's it's okay. And others will say, go ahead and break up or force them to, to offer the service also to competitors or, or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know... The question is, again, how successful is the regulation achieving what you want to achieve?
2: Right. And, and then we've also seen some companies that kind of get into that mode where they have many different tentacles out there, decide that they do want to break up at least one or two pieces of it and, and separated it off into individual companies. We've seen a That's couple true. of those.
1: That's right. Spin-offs are now very, very... Uh Popular, Hewlett Packard Pe- announced yep. about a week ago. Yep. True, and and because they recognize that there is benefits from specialization. With
2: PayPal, okay. with PayPal coming up as well.
1: Exactly right. So so what happens is there is you know if you focus on one activity which you is your bread and butter and you're so good at it, you those efficiencies can be probably beneficial to everybody, including consumers. So it's true. So I, I, I you know. You know, if you ask me where I come on this, on what side do I fall, I am probably less interventionist. I don't uh, believe that regulation can solve all of those issues.
2: Right. It, It can in some situations, but not all the time. You just have to kind of pick and choose, correct?
1: exactly right
2: exactly and, what- and
1: that's what his message as well yep. you know there wasn't a one answer to all situations he really was very picky about if you look at his models he starts out with a long list of what assumption he makes about the environment including number of competitors types of technology information structure regula- what the regulatory environment given that he go- goes into describing behavior And the last piece in each study of his is, okay, what is the consequence in terms of welfare to the economy, to Mm -hmm. society?
2: We're talking with uh, Professor Esther Galois of the University of Pittsburgh, professor of business economics and marketing at the Katz School of Business out at University of Pittsburgh, joining us to speak about Jean Tirole, who was named the Nobel Prize winner for economics uh, just recently, the last couple of days, uh, and the work that he has done as uh, Professor Galore has alluded to, obviously it has been announced about uh, his work in terms of uh, looking at monopolies, but there are also other aspects in terms of the imperfectly competitive market that he has also done a lot of work as well. Going forward with, with what Mr. Troll has done, what, what, what is his next mountain to conquer uh, where, where his expertise is concerned?
1: Wow. <laughs> uh, I think that he's going to focus primarily now because there are so new many many markets that are uh, emerging online. And he has started with this this investigation of platform competition mm-hmm. and network externalities. So I assume that he's going to continue doing it. Now a hot topic is in order to offer those services for free to consumers, you end up eroding the privacy, privacy concerns that are coming up. So, so you know, in order to provide better uh, uh, targeting of the right consumer to an advertiser, you end up following, the, you're tracking the behavior of consumers. So, yeah. a big question is how much, how much of this tracking is beneficial and how much is harmful. And I'm sure that he's going to look at these aspects that are new to the new environment we live in. Right. Uh, so I can see him working a lot on on issues related to. Uh, continuing working on platform competition in online markets.
2: Professor Galore, thank you very much for coming on the show today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
2: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.